that young woman that died from um, awaited. Tell yes. me, can you share any of like the blessings that came from that? Yeah, that was certainly uh, um, a catastrophic one. Failing. 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 I know. We talk about failure. Some battles you feel like you lost. And survival. Some battles you feel like you win. It's tough. I had to make some tough decisions. We've all faced failure, but what steps do we take to launch ourselves into success? I'm Sarah Brown. There is life. And a blessing. Achieve your dream. And then what we do with it. And this is Failing Forward. I would love to welcome Brian Tome. He is the senior pastor of Crossroads, which is actually one of the fastest growing Christian churches. He's an author, a father, and a husband. And welcome, Brian. Sarah, it is an honor to be with you today. <laughs> so, listeners. Why, you're laughing already. Well, I didn't say anything funny. You're I know, well, already. because you are funny. I know that you're funny. But, uh, listeners, Brian is on the telephone today, which I like. I That's a little unique for us, so it's going to be fun. I don't get to see his face. But, Brian, I didn't tell you this yet. Afterwards, I want you to take a selfie of yourself uh, so that we can do a selfie of you, and then I'll do a selfie of me, and we can post those pictures. Great. Okay. Perfect. Okay, Brian, um, start us off with, tell me where you grew up, where you're from. Give us some background on your family. Well, I was uh, I was born at a very young age, <laughs> and it happened in Pittsburgh. Yeah, see, that's a genuine line. I'm glad you got that one. I did. So I sure did. In, I was born and raised in Pittsburgh, was there for 30 years. I was uh, adopted at birth. And have great parents, moved to Cincinnati in 1995 to help start a church for people who had given up on church but hadn't necessarily given up on God. And we've been hitting that nail pretty strong for about 22 years, and off of that has spun a bunch of things that uh, are a lot of fun as well. So um, can you tell the story of how you found this job? <laughs> yeah, I... <laughs> You know, I think one of the things that we do when we try to go forward in life is a huge data point is, am I personally growing? Do I feel like the abilities, talents I have are being fully put into play and are they being developed? And I walked out of a job performance uh, review at uh, a church that I was at in Pittsburgh and I just walked, walked out of there and sensed, you know what, I think my run's done here. This is a great church. I I, I like it, but there's things that I've got to just develop, and I'm, it's not going to be developed, developed here. So I went on a, a search to find something where specifically my leadership skills and my speaking skills could be more developed and more exercised. I, I networked inside of my denomination. I called. I sent letters to people who I knew. And in the end, it came down to I answered an ad in the back of a magazine. Eleven people in Cincinnati wanted to start a church. Uh, to reach their friends who'd given up, as I said, given up on church but hadn't necessarily given up on God. So that was it. That was my only option. Uh, it wasn't like I had a bunch of ideas, and it wasn't like, yeah, I just really felt like this thing in Cincinnati was going to take off. No, that was the only option I had, and took the option, and we've been we've been plugging away ever since. So okay. yes, ads in the back of a magazine work for people like me. <laughs> okay, so when that happened, were you married at the time? Did you have kids? Uh, I was married. I had two kids. Oh, my god! And my wife was the more courageous one of two of us. I mean, I, I'm oftentimes the one who's um, 
seen as the entrepreneurial spirit, but yeah. you know, to, to have an entrepreneurial spirit, you have to have a level of faith. Um, and I don't mean just faith in God. I also mean faith that it's a good opportunity, faith that you have the abilities. And I actually got the offer. I found out that phrases like cold feet or scared spitless are <laughs> literal physiological realities. I was, oh my gosh, I, I was... I was in knots, and my wife was the one who said, honey, absolutely, you know, you can do this. This is great for us. We need to make this happen. So left the city that I was born and bred in with my family, our friends, and a football team that knew how to win playoffs. We left all that in Pittsburgh to come to Cincinnati. <laughs> I was going to call Pittsburgh something, but I won't use that term with you. But it begins with an S-H. Oh, I, mm-hmm. I, I understand uh-huh. it. I understand uh-huh. the rivalry. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Mm-hmm. It's impressive, though, what's happened in Pittsburgh. I was just back there yeah, you're uh, right. a couple of weeks ago, and gosh, when I, when I left Pittsburgh to come to Cincinnati, the way I described it was Cincinnati is like Pittsburgh except a half step up in class. And unfortunately, <laughs> I can't say that any longer. They have, just, <laughs> they have, they have blown they, by our no. city in terms of getting stuff done. It's, well, it's really impressive. Yeah, I heard that they've had a oh, similar renaissance that we had, but maybe theirs started a little bit before us. So maybe they are a little further along. Well, it's more widespread, and it's definitely a hockey stick going up. I mean, we've got a renaissance in Cincinnati as far as the startup community, but it's really little pocket, you know, three or four little pockets here and there, and it's that, and that's it. Yeah. In Cincinnati, they've got, or excuse me, in Pittsburgh, they've got like six or seven different pockets of capitalism, if you will, that are really really taken off and it's leading to a flourishing city fortunately and, for them and unfortunately we can't get our app together in cincinnati as quickly and do does crossroads have um a church in pittsburgh we do not we've got them in central kentucky we've got a bunch of people meeting in baseball indiana we've got them up in uh, dayton but there's no um there's no there's no presence that we have um in pittsburgh she just has this phrase that's uh when Jesus wasn't accepted by his own home, hometown of Nazareth, he said, well, maybe a prophet's not welcome in his hometown. So I don't know if that's going to be <laughs> applicable to Pittsburgh or not, but um, nothing happened there as far as Crossroads is concerned. Got it, got it. Okay, Brian, um, can I ask you about this adopted thing? Um, yeah. Like, have you met, have you ever met your um, birth parents? Sarah, it's interesting you asked that. I, I went through a journey a couple of years ago where I wanted to do things that time was running out on. And I recognized if I didn't track down my birth parents, then I wouldn't have much more time at that. And what do you know? Did some sleuthing, had a person who does that as a side gig. And, yeah, I found my my birth mother. And then about a year or so later, something clicked with her, and she remembered a key piece of data from my birth father. And so I met my birth father about about a year ago. So, yes, uh, I kind of closed the loop on that whole thing. And, uh, I gotta say it was, it was, Oh, I don't know. Anticlimactic. Yeah. Good people. But I think I always thought that oh, if I find somebody who is my DNA, I'm going to look at him in the face yeah. and I'm going to go, now I understand me. I got it. That's where I get that. That's where I get that. And I, and I looked at both of them. And I lived with you know, my wife, and I'm like, no, no, I don't, don't, don't really see anything there. So it's kind of, um, kind of a bummer on on that front. I was hoping for some hidden key that would unlock 
a self a sense of self understanding. Because um, I I knew that that you were adopted, and so when I was reading your book, The Five Marks of a Man, I wondered if any of that impacted the the five marks at all. Well, it certainly did. Uh, I, I did write that book, and and where the book came from, the heart of it was seeing my son who was born, and he sent a stream of urine up in the air and it went all over me when, when they put him on the table after he came out of my wife. And I recognized that if I don't get a hold of this guy, this guy's going to pee all over me the same way I did my dad. Yeah. And I was, I was always trying to kind of prove my manhood because mm-hmm. I believe as, as men, if we don't have a father figure who looks us in the face, puts his hand on our shoulder and says, son, you've done well. I'm really proud of you. We're yearning for those words, and maybe women are too. I don't know. I'm a man, so I just know the cry of a man's heart. If he doesn't feel and hear that, he's going to try to prove he's a man, and normally trying to prove your man is a very negative journey, and no one gets helped by that. And so that book kind of came out of that that self-discovery process. Did you get that from your dad? What? No. no, I I can talk about this right now because I know my dad's not going to be listening. Um, he has, uh, he's, he's next to this day. He's never looked at me and said, hey, Brian, I'm, I'm proud of you. It doesn't matter what I've done. He's, he's never done that. And he's a really good, loving father. I don't know if it's a generational thing. I don't know if it's a, he's a nuclear engineer and he's got some relational challenges. But no, I mean, to this day, I've, I've, I've never, I've never heard those words and it would be great to hear them. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to go up to my dad and say, hey, dad, right. why don't you just put your hand on my shoulder and look at me and tell me that you're proud of me? It, yeah. It's odd that a 53-year-old would still, still long for that. But I don't, I've never met a man. I don't care how old he is. I don't care if he's 12. I just spoke to a, a fraternity at the University of Cincinnati uh, yesterday. And I don't care if it's those guys in the fraternity. I don't care if you're a 50-year-old CEO. In fact, you mentioned Kirk Perry, who mm-hmm. has been on your program, who right. – Runs he runs ninety eight percent of air, of all of Google's profits. So Google gets you know all the accolades for self driving cars or little computer chips they're going to go on lenses to help diagnose medical conditions, all that kind of stuff. But the bottom line is, advertising is where they get it from on their web. It drives everything. He oversees all their profits, and the fact that his dad has still never done that to him it still bothers him. I know mm-hmm. I'm not. Um, You're not alone. I'm not in. No, I'm not. Yeah. All right. Well, let's. So talk- I don't know. What do yeah. you think? I mean, do you do you see her? Do you long for that as a? I a was just. Uh, you know, it's you? so funny. I was going to answer that. Yes, I think. Um, so my parents are both deceased, but I would say, I got it from my father, and I longed it from my father, and I think it's different from getting a, a girl getting it from their father. Um, than getting it from their mother. I think it's a different type of safety, maybe, or security mm-hmm. that um, I'm grateful that I had that. Well, and I don't know what it is, but sociologists are pretty pretty in alignment with psychologists. That it seems that, that females gradually turn into mature, functioning adults in sort of a natural organic process, men don't. Men don't. We, we, we don't just, as we grow old or just become 
more mature and more centered and all that. I mean, there's some of that for sure, but there is definitely a moment where a male goes from being a boy to a man. And that's the moment and that's the, that's the, the marks that make a man that I spent so much time on that book. So I was um, a social science major in college. And so, of course, I read a lot of books, anthropology books, and that rite of passage, I think, has been around for centuries, right? Do we? Do you feel yeah. like we have a rite of passage for boys to become men today? In a positive, no, no right in a positive way. I'm not talking about men going to strip clubs when it's time for bachelor parties. I'm talking like significant positive, or having a beer, you know, when you're whatever. I'm not talking that stuff. No, we have no, we have none of that, which is why a, a, a journey to the strip club is a big deal, or it's why when I was in high school. Um, you know, smashing mailboxes, vandalism. I was trying to prove that I was a man, or or how many beers I could drink, or some sexual conquest, or lying about a sexual conquest that I didn't actually have. But we're we're constantly doing these things because, unlike other ancient cultures, every ancient culture has a moment where a guy realizes that's it. It's me. I just talked with a guy oh, about a year ago who was from Africa, and he told me in his in his village. Um, this is a well-adjusted American right now. You wouldn't know that he has a sort of tribal background um, from when he was a boy, but he says very clear in that at village. At age, I can't remember what he said, if it was 14 or whatever it was, all the men in the village would come up and they'd knock on the door and they'd try to woo him out, out of the house. And the mother tries to keep him behind him, keep him sort of sheltered, the boy. And if they can't get the, the boy to come out, they wait a year, and the next year they come back, they do the same thing. And if he doesn't come out, they'll actually grab him forcefully, take him out of the house, they take him up in the hills. They, I don't know exactly what they do there, but when they come back, he's a man. Other cultures, it's, you know, it's kill a deer, drink the blood, get a bald eagle feather from the mountain. I even ran across one where it is a one-time homosexual act that the chief of the tribe has with every boy. Um, glad I didn't live in that culture. Uh, but that's what it was, and, and you realize, okay, I don't, I don't have to prove myself anymore. This is I'm, I am a man, and so I'm going to be a man instead of trying to convince everybody I already am because the men already told me I'm in. So what? Okay, so the book obviously talks about the different marks, but so what? What can? What do we do today? How can you have that in a healthy way? Well, men are unfortunately very isolated in our society. The suicide for rape, rape for men is going up, up, up. Men are three and a half times more likely to commit suicide than women in our culture right now. And a huge part of that is that women have social bonds and social connections. You don't, you don't think anything unusual if you see you know, two women laughing it up and having lunch together. Guys, you see them hanging out with lunch together, and people wonder, okay, what's wrong with those guys? That's odd. Women are great to, to hug each other and cry with each other. You see guys hugging and crying with each other, they feel like that's not manly. There's yeah. just weird societal pressures that keep men isolated, and so we've got to get around other men that breathe life into us and that we laugh with yeah. and who have our values and have a vision uh, beyond just I owe, I owe, it's off to work, I go. That's one of the marks of a man versus a boy. When you're a boy, all you do is think about how pleasurable your current day can be or 
like the old band Loverboy had the ultimate Loverboy song, Everybody's Working for the Weekend. You know, yeah. that old one. How, how old are you, Sarah? Do you, do you remember that song? Oh, I sure do. Of course I know it. Loverboy, whereas, whereas a man goes, no, I'm working because I have a vision for what I want my life to be, my business to be, and that's why I'm doing this. It's not simply I owe, I owe, it's off to work, I go. I am going about a vision. So we as men, we've got to get out of this character on commercials of guys just drinking beers and being stupid with junior high personality traits up through their 30s. We've got to get over this thing of not hugging each other, not giving each other words of affirmation. And until we do that, our life is just, I don't think, is going to make much sense. Okay, so I want to talk about the first mark because, um, and you could probably correct me, but I felt like the first mark really applied a lot to failure and and being resilient. And so um, you mentioned about the first mark being having a vision. And you said that you had a vision of getting married. You had a vision of building a church. And then you said that you talked about getting your posterior handed to you on a platter when you started at Crossroads. Can you share what were some of those gifts that you got from those struggles? So much of life is just hanging on, Sarah. It's just resiliency. It's just, um, you know, you just learn that when you get knocked down and when you get beaten, you actually get stronger. It sounds really corny and cliche, but it is true. That which doesn't kill me makes me stronger. Just, just if you and I think about back to our high schools and we think about the most popular people who are in our high schools, those people generally hit the DNA lottery. They were the best looking They had personality plus that they seemed to have when they came out of the womb. They had, you know, physical abilities that enabled them to be beautiful or enabled them to be really athletic. And then they were really popular. Everyone wanted to be around those people. It's interesting when you go to your 10, 20, 30 year reunion, the people who had done the most and accomplished the most most were definitely not the most popular. I totally agree. I think it's because, yeah, I think it's because they had too much success too soon and it was purely dna they never they never had to work at anything whereas the rest of us had to work and had to go through failure never had anything handed to us and we built muscles that serve us today yeah my friend lauren always says that um those people are the ones that like peaked in high school and then you get Mm -hmm. older and you're like look look not not to be judgmental but you know wow Look at all the success that that we have, even though we weren't the most beautiful. Completely. I I totally agree with that. That's a good way to put it, is peaking in high school. The only way we peak and go up is when we have some failure and we have some trauma and and we hate it, but it's true. There's so many things that we learn from the physical realm that also apply to the spiritual realm, right? I mean, physically... The way you get stronger is you put pressure on your muscles, you have tiny tears, and it's in the rebuilding process of the muscle grows and you get stronger. And it's the same way it is in life, intellectually, spiritually, occupationally, everything. We have to have pressure that's put on us that causes tears, causes soreness, but therein lies the strength that we can have for the next challenge. Yeah. Yep. Love that. 
What else can you think of as it? And I, I can I can I hear like a cool story that maybe not everybody knows that when when you first started with Crossroads or moved here, that was and and maybe it is one that others have heard because we'll have some listeners here that haven't heard you speak before. But what were some yeah. of those big struggles that you had when you first moved here, and how did you overcome it? Oh, Actually, gosh. you know what? No. Can I ask this question? And we can cut this out if you don't want to talk about it. But I've always yeah, sure. wanted to ask you, that young woman that died from um, uh, Awaited, tell yeah. me, can you share any of like the blessings that came from that? Yeah, I mean, that was, uh, yeah, that was certainly... Uh, um, a catastrophic one. We, we, we at Crossroads, we, we have an entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, we, we want to keep learning. We want to keep trying new things. And when it came to Christmas, moved into Cincinnati and realized that everyone goes to this Christmas carol at Playhouse in the Park seemingly every year. Cincinnatians tend to like Christmas traditions. And we thought, what could we do that would be a spiritual tradition that could sort of get baked into the DNA of our city. So we wrote an original Christmas production. It was called Imagine, and it was awful. You can't imagine how awful it was. It just was, it was awful. So we, we killed it and did another one, and it was called Awaited. And it wasn't that bad. Like, huh, that doesn't suck too bad. Let's, let's try it again. So the next year, we blew it out. And one of the things we did is we had the Magi, the three wise men, blade from our catwalks kind of, twirling over the audience and as i was watching one of them fell right in the middle of the auditorium on the uh center aisle and at the time i, I was kind of like "Ooh, that's gonna hurt that's a bummer it didn't look that catastrophic to me but as it turns out it absolutely was catastrophic that was a young young woman who was at xavier who when she fell she hit her head she had brain damage she pretty much died instantly at least i hope she died instantly but i didn't know that at that time so there i am with a three thousand people in an auditorium someone has fallen there's blood in the center aisle and and trying to figure out crisis in that mode is Mm -hmm. is high pressure and took a look at her phone found uh, a number that said i think it's like grandma or something like that called grandma yeah. Got a number, and this is all while people were still in the auditorium because we couldn't let them leave because then we would have um, ambulances jammed up not being able to get in. So people were sitting there just kind of in stunned silence. Got, got her dad's phone number, called him up, said this is a problem. You know, a problem. Um, your daughter is your daughter has 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 fallen. Going to go to the hospital, and man, going to the hospital while I was waiting in the waiting room, they lived a couple hours away. I didn't know if that was, I don't know if that was the end of Crossroads or we're going to be sued and everything goes away. I don't know if that was the end of, I don't know what was the end of her life. Is it the end of, is it the end of my life? Is it the end of what, what? It was just very, very confusing. And when I talked with her mother, who at that point about an hour away, she said, look, I just need you to go in there. I don't want her dying on a bunch of machines. So I went in and. I believe in the power of prayer. Myself and another one of our prayer warriors went in, and we did some, I mean, intense, intense prayer. Um, and God said no to that prayer. She died, or she had already died. And and it was, yeah, it was awful. It was awful. It was, it was awful. 
I say it was awful from all of our stress points and from our parents losing a child. And you're just, you're just not supposed to outlive your kids, let alone your kids lose right. their life at church. At church. Right? Yeah, right before yeah, Christmas. Complete. I mean, it's, it's, it's just a nightmare. But as I developed a relationship with her parents, and I we talk about this frequently, um, you know, that, uh, that, that, that girl, Carrie, I said, Carrie really had the dream death. She didn't have any kids. She wasn't married. She died, we believe, instantly, so no pain. She died doing exactly what she loved, and she died in such a way that people came into relationship with God because of that whole situation. We decided to keep doing away the last year. We had 112,000 people at our awaited show. And if you didn't, if that, if Carrie wasn't part of the story, I'm not sure we would have done what we've done. And, and I wish awaited had ended after the first year and she didn't die. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a, it's, it's a really awkward, difficult thing, but you know, as a, as a Christian, this is when you recognize, or you ask yourself, do, do I really believe in heaven? Do I believe in an eternal purpose? Do I believe in a story that's larger than ourselves? And if I do, I've got to categorize suffering and difficulty in that framework, which somebody who doesn't have that framework will never be able to do. Mm. One of the one of the things that I talk about around resiliency, I've got this, it's an acronym called HERO, and one of the pieces is, um, well, two, it's relying on something higher than yourself. So for you and I, it would be a higher power. For others, it could be community or purpose. Um, and then the second one is reframing expectations to fit reality, and it sounds like you demonstrated both of those things with Carrie's death. One, you went straight to prayer, right, and the prayer warrior and the community of Crossroads. And then secondly was that whole piece around, hey, I looked at your reframe around it made Awaited better, um, right? Yes, yes, completely. Yeah, it, it, uh, it grew everybody. All of us were grown in that and you want to talk about <laughs> flexing leadership muscles which is brought me across initially that I didn't have before yeah you try to console cast and crew who created that sketch you try to help someone process who's in charge of the ropes and try to help them oh lead them through gosh. how to how to categorize this in their mind lead the creators, you know, a couple women, women, and the guy as well. Through, you know, are you responsible for it? They're feeling responsible, and and you gotta, you gotta nurture people through that, and you gotta enter into their world. And that was, man, that was, that was a crash course in the PhD and and pain and crisis and and everything else. But that's life. That's that's the kind of stuff that is going on in real people's lives and. We have to learn how to lead to that as leaders and shepherd people. Yeah. And I had to learn that that day, and I wish I hadn't. I wish I didn't have to learn it, but I did. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Thank you for sharing that because I know it's not a. Oh, it's kind of a heavy thing, but yeah. Well, it is a heavy thing, but there's there's a lot of 
<laughs> my line of work in my face, I like to say, God never wastes anything. Never wastes anything. There's not going to be some nice, tidy bow to make us feel better a week after tragedy happens normally. But he never wastes anything, and he didn't waste that. He used that to to build all of us. He used that to reach new people. He actually used that to refine her parents' faith in a variety of ways. They're uh, they're out. Last I checked in with them, they're they're out traveling the country in their in their RV and hmm. and growing their relationship and the relationship with God and everything else. And that kind of man, there, there's just a kind of growth that you you have to get in a tragedy like that, or you'll just be, you know, pulverized into, into sand. And if that's the way it's going to be, then sometimes that's the way it's going to be. Sometimes tragedy, that's just all it does. It just, it just sucks, period. There's no silver lining. It just sucks. Yeah. Uh, but oftentimes there's stuff if we just are patient and we try to squeeze everything out of it, we can. So I love on page 44 in the book, I'm going to read this paragraph to you because I love it. It says, you don't see God opening doors for people and making things easy in the Bible. You see shipwrecks. You see failure. You see extreme resistance in the midst of years, decades, and even lifetimes of patience and labor. In fact, the New Testament says, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. If you want an easy, open door from God, just know that there are likely to be adversaries, and this, among other things, will lead to suffering. Everything significant that will happen in your life will come through struggle and persistence. This is the paradigm for manliness we see in the Bible. Man after man is leading into and pushing things forward. Men break through barriers. Can you talk more about that, Brian, and why that's been important for you personally? Yeah, there's there's a veneer of Christendom that just really turns my stomach and makes me barf. And this <laughs> veneer of Christendom comes with like all kind of trite fra- phrases that you'll see on bumper stickers. Things like "Let go and let God," or um, you know, "If God's in it, you'll be blessed," or um, you know, th- 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 this kind of stuff. And I, yes, I do believe that we need to let God rule our lives. Yes. Yes, there are unique blessings God brings along, but if we think, if we think that this means that um, this is really, really hard, so obviously God's not helping me here, or it's really, really hard, I'm obviously on the wrong path, so therefore I need to stop, just not true. Not true. In fact, uh, the the nation of Israel, they were to quote-unquote inherit the promised land, and what what it meant for them to inherit the promised land is they came out of slavery um, under the leadership of Charlton Heston, or I mean Moses. Right. Well, what that meant was they had the right to fight for it. They had the right to go into battle and take it. That's what it means when God gives you something. It doesn't mean he sends something via Amazon, you open up, it's beautiful. It means he gives you the go-ahead to fight for something, to sweat, to toil, to struggle. Um, and sometimes, metaphorically, to kill. Metaphorically, I emphasize metaphorically. It, it, it's a struggle. Yeah, metaphorically, it's a, it's a it's, it's a struggle. And a lot of the, uh, I, I think a lot of people who have rejected and become atheists, rejected the the God of the Bible, in reaction to this, some of the silly beliefs and attitudes that people who have who seem to not be rooted in reality. One of those is if if God's your life, then everything's going to be a rose garden. Not true going to be difficult, right. very hard. 
And if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you're going to be able to use your gift of faith to see something that hasn't come around yet, but make no mistake about it. You will come up against the wall on payroll again and again and again. Make no mistake about mm-hmm. it. There will be challenges from other market segments. Make no mistake about it. You will regularly have doubts and you'll have new fears about whether or not it's going to happen. It's not going to be easy. So when you say man here, can can I still do this? Yeah, totally. I mean, look, those five marks are written from a masculine voice to a masculine audience, but I've just learned that uh, most sales are with women. I don't know if that's because they're just curious how men things. I think a lot of women are wondering, you know, is this what's going on with my boyfriend? And a lot of women are reading this and realizing, oh, this is what it is. I've got a boyfriend here who's a boy. He's not a man. But really, these five marks, they're, they're, general, they're, they're gender inclusive. Every woman needs to have a vision. Every woman needs to be about work one way or another. Every woman needs to be a team player, minority position, right, right on down the line. Um, but there's a massive void where men are not getting these concepts as easily as women, and I wonder right at the masculine voice. Yeah. Okay, there's one more question that, that I wanted to ask you. For some strange reason, it's considered a virtue to keep your dreams small and manageable. I this really rings true for me, and I um, I want to talk about why. Why does this happen to a lot of people? And then how do you shift your thinking around it? Well, we we like to judge people who are succeeding. We like to think that if they're doing really really well. They must be bending the rules. They must be greedy. They must be taking advantage of people. They must be, you know, not honoring their family. We we have this internal dialogue, most of us do, when someone's doing well, that there's really something hidden there that's just, that, that, that must not be right in their life. Because we're paranoid about success. We're paranoid about somebody who dreams big. We're paranoid about somebody who's doing something big. And then we forecast that right back to ourselves. And if we actually start having a dream that's beyond nine to five and earning a pay raise every year until we die, if we start to have a, a dream that's beyond that, we start to go, oh, maybe maybe I'm just into myself. Maybe I'm just a dreamer. I mean, no, no. We, we, we settle for far too little, and we're afraid. Actually, we're afraid to succeed. We're afraid to do something that we haven't seen before. And I don't know if we're afraid of being judged. I don't know if it's we're, we feel bad because we've been judging other people who have succeeded in some other area. But where this comes from, I don't know. I'm just, again, ashamed of the Christian veneer that exists in my world, the Christian veneer that is constantly skeptical, constantly cynical of new ideas that could be really big. Okay, so what was the first big idea that you did that was out of your comfort zone? Because I know it wasn't this book. Because I think you have another book, right? Uh, yeah, I've had a, I've had a couple other books. Yeah, you have a couple of books. Yeah. Okay, so what was the first big one that you did that you were like, God, am I? Can I really do this? Oh, and what was your first? One? Yeah, I was, yeah, I was probably starting crushing when I was thirty. And that was that was probably it, and then that just started a cascade. It was a church starting and funding the largest privately privately built hospice in South Africa uh, for AIDS hospice, um, which failed, by the way. <laughs> it failed. We, we kept that thing, and then we had a fallout with our partner, and it failed. Right now, the thing, that huge facility we built, and 
we're paying the ongoing expenses as far as I know it's a broom closet right now. Um, but that was that was a big one. Uh, CityLink, the CityLink Center in Cincinnati. Were you nervous, or I mean, do you ever get nervous or afraid about those things? Or no? Um, actually, I get more nervous looking back on it. I tend to be an idealist in the early stages. I tend to I tend to feel like, hey, this this is a good idea. Here's the thing: whenever whenever you're fearful about something, you're on to something. It's something that you haven't seen, and so therefore, there's an opportunity there. We're never fearful of things that we've seen before. We, we understand what it means yeah. to go to college and get a job in corporate America. We've seen that before. But when it comes to doing something we haven't seen before, we're going to have high fear and high upside, high opportunity. So actually the fear factor is a bellwether for how good the idea could actually be. So once you get that settled um, – it, it makes it a little less ominous. So on the front end of these things, I just see opportunity. Um, I might be a little freaked out about it, but I just see opportunity. It actually looks more ominous when I look back and I say, oh, my gosh, I can't believe we did that. But in the early stages, I just choose to see the upside and the opportunity. And if I have just enough money or just enough resources or people to take the next step, then that's all we need to do. Okay. Were you always that way, though? Because uh, it sounds like you don't have a whole lot of fear then at the beginning. I, I don't have a lot of fear. No, and I've been I've been told that I'm unusual that way. Um, I I haven't always been that way because I didn't have the opportunity to be that way, or I wasn't taking that opportunity. Mm. Um, so okay, so maybe the the suggestion is giving yourself the opportunity, taking the opportunity, and the more and more, the less and less fearful you'll be around taking those risks. Yes. And I think this dreaming is, big. And, and I think this is where Sarah, my, my, my face comes in. I'm just speaking for me having a, having a Christian face. It, it, that's just my story is, is I look to see where God's, where, where God's working and I want to go be a part of it. So if I see him already working someplace, I feel like, all right, I get the upper hand on this sucker because there's something already happened. I just need to throw my weight into it. Um, okay. And if I feel that, then, that that sort of gives me permission. That's one of the ways that my my that my my faith helps me. But it's hard to really break down and say, okay, so here's the four steps with overcoming fear. It's it's hard to do that because all of us have fear, and we're going to keep having fear. It's just a matter of we do we keep doing the right thing. Okay. Okay. I dig that. Yeah, I don't know how helpful that is. I I feel like there should be some some bullet points I can give, but no, uh, I, I don't think that, I think if we, it's about keeping it simple and I do, I, <laughs> there is something to be said for re- going back to this. My first thing is relying on something bigger than yourself. So for you, it's faith for me, it would be faith too. Um, but I do think that that's the number one thing on how people can be more resilient or um, dream big. I think it's. I think that's it. And it's 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 a maturation process. So now it's fifty three. I've got yeah. um, you know, I've got some stuff that's that's big and ominous right now that I, I would never consider when I was thirty. But you have twenty three right. years of seasoning with you, and and you can tackle things that are that are a bit different. And we should. We should. What? Why is it that the the biggest dreamer dreamers tend to be twenty five year olds? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm getting to an age right now where peers of mine 
are wanting to retire to Florida. Like, like why? Why, why do you want to go sit in the sun and have mosquitoes suck your geriatric skin? Really? That, that, that's really what your life is. That's, that's really what your life is about. No, we've got, we've got to build no. on the things that we have and throw those gifts into play. And, and I feel in so many ways that, uh, I'm just getting started. I've just sort of qualified myself to take, take another step. Well, I feel like I'm never going to retire. If I retire, that means that I'm dead because I, I have to continually have a new challenge. But that's just me. Right, right. Now, we we might be in a place where we can't earn the same income as we used to before for whatever reason. But the idea of not being stretched, I just uh, I don't see how that's, how that's healthy. That's, that's part of what we're supposed to be as humans. We're supposed to add value to this world. And that means we're going to always be stretched or else we're not adding value. Well, I think that's a perfect ending. Brian, thank you so much for being on the show today. It was awesome, and I'm so happy that I got to meet you virtually. My pleasure, Sarah. Thanks for having me, and sorry we had to do it on the phone. I wish we could have been in the studio there. So uh, it's, been, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you. I want to thank everyone behind the scenes, Anna Bolke, our producer, and the incredible team at Gwyn Sound. If you liked this episode, please, please go to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and write a review. 